This is a podcast from the Business Times. Hi there, everyone. I'm Genevieve Kuo, wealth editor of the Business Times. It's coming to the end of 2022, which has turned out to be a year investors would rather forget. At mid-December, stocks and bonds are still both down at the same time. In fact, following the Federal Reserve's latest 50 basis point interest rate hike in December, the S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average both dropped by quite a lot. The Fed's 50 basis point hike was widely expected, coming on the heels of four consecutive 75 basis point rises. Inflation had dropped by a little bit in the U.S., which raised hopes that the Fed would take it easy on its very hawkish stance. But markets were too hopeful, and they came crashing down to earth, so to speak. This seems to be the pattern this year of hope and then a letdown. In this episode, I'd like to talk about putting up some investment guardrails for your portfolio. I saw the term guardrails used in a recent press release by one of the U.S. investment firms. They didn't suggest any, but it got me thinking. In this environment, when it seems everything is down at the same time, what things can serve as your guardrails? I define guardrails as a cushioning or support. So here goes. One source of support is cash. It makes an effective guardrail. As much as we lament that cash does not keep up with inflation, it's not to be underestimated. Today, you can get a 12-month fixed deposit rate of more than 4%. Up to around 4.2% when last checked, a far cry from just a couple of years ago when the rate barely skimmed 1%. The Singapore Savings Bond has taken something of a backseat. Its latest issuance, application for the January 2023 issue, closes on December 27. It's for 3.2% a year for over 10 years. This is good, but it paled in comparison to the six-month government treasuries. Where the recent auction ended at a 30-year high of 4.4 percent, amazing, isn't it? I didn't manage to apply for that. I would have wanted to get that from my CPF ordinary account, but it was too inconvenient to have to go to a bank and queue up to instruct this. Of course, cash doesn't guard against inflation. Singapore's inflation rate this year has exceeded 7 percent for some months, but cash gives you capital preservation. Which we all appreciate, and as long as the tenor isn't long, six months is ideal. You have assets you can almost readily deploy into the market when you feel more confident to step out. When you're evaluating how much you hold in cash, it's important to consider all your assets. This means to include your CPF funds. If, like me, you don't invest your CPF, then the savings there form part of your cash allocation. You'd probably find that you're pretty heavily weighted in a safe asset. Topmost in my wish list, and I'm sure this is on everyone's wish list, is that the government would raise the base rate of the CPF ordinary account to higher than 2.5 percent. In its quarterly press release on CPF interest rates, the CPF said it is watching the rate environment closely. I quote to ensure. That the CPF interest rate pegs remain relevant in the prevailing operating environment. Close quote. This additional line to the standard press release is unusual. The second guardrail is to get income from your investments in the form of dividend and bond coupons, 
in the current environment, where stocks and bonds are down at the same time, it wouldn't be surprising that your portfolio is in the red. But regular payouts of dividends and coupons go some way to cushion the decline. I spent some time recently to do some housekeeping on our personal portfolio. That is my husband and I. And I confess, I hate doing this kind of tedious admin work, totting up physical statements that we get for coupons and dividends. So I do the bare minimum, only twice a year. But it was very gratifying that our portfolio income came to a tidy five-figure sum. I wish it was more, but since the portfolio is down, it did help to shore up some value. There's a point I'd like to make on the issue of bonds. Bonds got a bad name through this downturn because, as an asset class, it failed to do its job. In a normal market environment, bonds should zig when equities zag. In fact, bonds are typically seen as a stable asset. Bond prices are less volatile, and if you pick a strong credit, there are regular coupons, plus you get your principal back at maturity. But this time, because of the interest rate cycle, Bonds have suffered a lot in terms of mark-to-market losses. If you went into China property bonds, you may fare even worse because there may be defaults and you'd have to sit out the recovery process or write off the asset. The point I'd like to make is that bonds are still worth holding because if you don't trade the bond, mark-to-market losses should not bother you. They are only on paper and you continue to get your coupon. At maturity, as long as there is no credit event, you'll get your principal back. Still to come, more on bonds and the problem with bond funds. Partnering you on your wealth and investment journey. Bringing you insights to make well-timed market moves. Sharing actionable personal financial tips. Helping you protect and grow your wealth. Analyzing Singapore's market trends and corporate issues. Supporting you through your Singapore property journey. Insights from your trusted partner, the Business Times Podcasts. Are you listening? And now, back to Wealth BT from the Business Times. We've just been talking about investing in direct bonds, where mark-to-market losses are just on paper, if you buy and hold, and as long as there is no credit event. But it's a different story with bond funds. Bond funds enable you to invest in markets that are hard to invest on your own, like emerging market bonds or high-yield junk bonds. But here's what happens in a stressful environment. Many bonds become illiquid and the mark-to-market value drops significantly. In a fund, another factor comes into play. The manager has to manage redemptions too. If the fund does not hold a lot of cash, and many funds do not use cash as a strategy, the manager is forced to sell holdings at a low price to raise cash for redemptions. So as much as you aim to be a long-term investor and you simply wish to sit and collect coupons, your units will still suffer a significant price drop. You'll probably get your income payout because once a fund indicates a target payout, managers are very reluctant to reduce this. But you need to be aware that in times like these, it's likely that a good portion of the payout may consist of your own capital being returned to you and not coupon or capital gain. Another guardrail relating to bonds and dividend stocks is that you have to make sure you pick assets of good quality. Where the balance sheet is strong, 
cash flow generating, and where leverage is also not excessive. In a downturn, of course, dividends may be reduced or not be paid at all. In equities, my husband and I have taken pains to pick REITs and stocks that pay dividends of more than five percent at the time of investment. Today, I believe with a market downturn, you can get even more attractive yields. In fact, in the bond space, many strategies point out that this is the time to lock in very attractive yields of up to seven percent in investment-grade bonds. So far, we talked about cash as a guardrail and dividends and coupons as a second support. A third guardrail is alternative investments. I'm not exactly talking about hedge funds or private equity here because I think the illiquidity isn't appropriate for most individuals. But there are fairly easy to access alternatives like physical gold. Personally, I don't hold much in alternative assets. Earlier this year, my mother's portfolio received a pitch for the Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust, also called BREIT. It's very tempting to be frank. BREIT is very popular with Asian private clients. This is a real estate portfolio which paid an attractive dividend of more than five percent. But on hindsight, it was good that we did not act on it. BREIT took the step recently this year to impose a gate or limit on redemptions. It seemed many Asian clients wanted to exit at the same time. Bloomberg has reported that another real estate fund has also paused redemptions. Gating by a fund isn't very common. This happened earlier in the 2008 financial crisis in many hedge funds. It's temporary, but it can be distressing to clients who need cash. This was a lesson on the risk that could arise even in so-called liquid alternative investments. Still, if you don't mind the illiquidity, alternative assets should compensate you for that with additional returns, far more than traditional markets. The caveat is you must pick a good manager. With assets like private equity and hedge funds, your alpha boils down to the skill of the manager. I believe there is a final guardrail that's important, and that's your personal resilience as an investor. We often hear or read that we're our worst enemy when it comes to investing. I believe that's very true. So many biases get in our way. One is investing with a rearview mirror. Where we project the past into the present and the future, we saw this earlier in the year when some investors bought into dips because they were accustomed to the Fed acting as a backstop. It was also hard to grasp that after years of very low or no inflation, that higher inflation may be here to stay. Another human foible is the tendency to be overconfident in our abilities. People often blame others for their losses. They're persuaded to invest by their stockbroker or friends or banker, but really we make our own decisions. And there is a tendency to be anchored in certain things, like the price at which we bought a stock. I've done this too. At the peak of the dot-com bubble, I bought a tech fund and rode it higher, and then watched it plunge all the way down. In the end, the fund was closed, and I got the little capital I had in it in the mail after many years. On hindsight, if I had just reviewed this dud investment and reinvested it into an S&P index fund, I would have done much, much better. My husband and I have been subject to these same foibles, but we're doing much better now. Our portfolio is down, but it's doing better than the broad market. This isn't because we're particularly smart, as I've written in a recent column. It's simply because of our age. 
I'm keenly aware that if we were to suffer substantial losses, we just do not have the luxury of time to recover. So we've taken pains to be fairly conservative, even as we still take some risk. You'll need to keep revisiting your objectives and time horizon and be flexible to adapt and adjust, even if that's painful. That's it for this episode. I hope this year hasn't been too harsh for you as an investor. I wish you a blessed Christmas and a happy 2023. Let's hope it's much better than 2022. Until the next episode, thank you for listening. That was a podcast from the Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast or via the Google Voice Assistant Amazon-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3 you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.